Everything that we get in John 14, 15, and 16 is so intensely personal. Now, all of Scripture is personal. It is God's letter to you. It is God's invitation to you. It is God's love for you and toward you and me. In expressing in in written form who He is and what He did and what He expects and, and what this is really all about, which ultimately is Jesus. But we get to these few chapters and we see Jesus, hear Jesus, say things that we don't hear anywhere else. Which doesn't lessen their significance, it heightens the significance of these words. Verse 1, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am you may be also. Again, in my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Praise the Lord. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the assurance. Thank you for the words. And for what you tell us here, Lord, may we not miss it. I pray that you will bless this family as you bless the entire family of God. Struck me again this morning, driving here, Father, that we are joining in worship with Christians throughout the world today. Some have already worshipped as their morning came earlier. Some are going to worship later as their mornings come later. But all together, there are voices raised in song. And, O oh Lord, if we could hear every voice all singing together, as we one day will, I think we would be blown away. You are worthy of all worship and honor and praise. For who you are, Lord, but also for what you've done. Thank you for this. Thank you for your words today. And I pray that they would comfort and encourage and strengthen our family here in Jesus' name. Amen. Now at the outset of what I've called a vision for the troubled life. I'm sorry, a vision for the untroubled life. It actually works either way, because if your life is troubled or your life is untroubled, Jesus has given a vision. Truth is, everybody's going to have troubles. Everybody's going to have difficulties. Some seasons are worse than others, but we all get knocked down by life. And if you haven't been, buckle up. Because you will be. That is life. But Jesus gives a vision for living untroubled, even in a troubled world. And at the very beginning of this vision, He hands out an invitation to heaven. Jesus' personal invitation to heaven. The Bible refers to heaven 457 times, and to the heavens another 184 times. The Jews understood three distinct heavens. The atmosphere is the first heaven. The envelope of the earth, where we see the blue skies and the storm clouds rise and the birds fly. That's the first heaven, the atmosphere. Genesis chapter 1 verse 8, God called the expanse heaven, shamayim, in the Hebrew. And there was evening and there was morning, a second day. Heaven, the heavens, as we can see them. 
And then there's the second heaven in Jewish thinking, the astronomical space. You have the atmosphere and you have the astronomical space. Space, the final frontier. Spock was wrong. Space is not the final frontier. Space is simply the universe beyond our atmosphere, the stars, the planets, the galaxies. You know that. So you have first heaven, you have second heaven, and then the Jewish people would recognize the third heaven, which is the abode of God. Not limited to physical space. Beyond space, time, and dimension, the abode of God. The first heaven, the second heaven, the third heaven. Paul spoke of the third heaven. He said in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 2, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a man was caught up to the third heaven. Who's Paul talking about there? Himself. And he goes on to say, And I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. The atmosphere, the astronomical space, and the abode of God. These three, not levels so much, but they're just three perspectives, three recognitions of heaven in Jewish thinking. And Paul says, I saw it. Saw it. Got caught up to it. The the abode of God. Isaiah was granted such a vision. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne lofty and exalted with the train of His robe filling the temple. And seraphim stood above Him, each having six wings. With two He covered His face. And with two He covered His feet. And with two He flew. And one called out to another saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of Him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Awesome. Heaven. Ezekiel saw such a vision of heaven. Ezekiel chapter 1, Ezekiel chapter 10. I won't read it to you right now, but read it. Check it out. That's an angel for your Christmas tree topper. Amazing. So, we know Paul would see it, we know Isaiah saw, we know Ezekiel saw, granted this vision, and what's amazing about all of these visions is they parallel every time they're described in human words to the best of human ability by the inspiration of the Spirit. Every time heaven is described, it parallels beautifully. And we see it in Revelation chapter 4 as John is granted a heavenly vision. Let me just read it to you, Revelation 4.1, After these things I looked... And behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. Rick, that was a little loud. Well, he said it sounded like a trumpet. Could have been louder. Immediately I was in the Spirit. And behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne. And he who was sitting was like, like a, a jasper stone. And a sardius in appearance. There was a rainbow around the throne, like an emerald in appearance. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and upon the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white garments, and golden crowns on their heads. Out of the throne came flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal, 
And in the center and around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first creature was like a lion, and the second creature like a calf, and the third creature had a face like that of a man, and the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. Ezekiel tells us that all four creatures had all four faces each. Verse 8, And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within, and day and night, they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne, to Him who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders will fall down before Him who sits on the throne and will worship Him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are You, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For You created all things and because of Your will, they existed and were created. Why were they casting their crowns? Because none of them deserved them. Because only God is worthy of worship. Heaven. Heaven. When human beings try to describe with natural words the supernatural state, it can be overwhelming. I mean, we read these things, we hear these things, and we say, wow, what's it going to be like? How's it going to be to be gathered in multitudes around that throne? I mean, that's a little frightening even. Intimidating. Unsettling. And when we say, man, I can't wait to get to heaven, on the one hand, well, yeah, because it sounds awesome, but... I mean, look at it this way. If you've been part of a small church your entire life, say, I don't know, a church that met in a barn. (laughs) And you go like to Dallas, Texas, and walk into the doors of one of those big, mongo, 15,000, 20,000 member churches, and you're trying to find your seat, and there's a sea of people, and the band starts up, and the pastor speaks, and it's a little intimidating, and you just want to go back to the barn. And so we hear all these descriptions of heaven and it just seems incomprehensible. And so I understand why sometimes even Christian brothers and sisters say, yeah, I mean, I want to be where God is, but it scares me. I'm not sure if I'm just ready yet. I just broke in this pair of jeans, man. You know, I'm just relaxing into the world and you want me to go there. It's, it's a little much. Jesus called it my Father's house. I want you to hear that this morning. He called it my Father's house. Prior to His coming, think about that. It was just home for Jesus. This is where He had resided for all of eternity prior to coming in the flesh. Home. What do you think of when you think of home? A place where you kick off your shoes, where, where, you, where you kick back, where you relax. Home, my Father's house. For Jesus, heaven is simply home. And He wants to take us there. Of course He would. Don't you want to take people home? Well, maybe you don't. Maybe you need to clean it first, or I don't know. Maybe the family is a little messed up. So you think, I don't know if I want to take people home. But at least home is where I know what's going to happen. I'm pretty used to the lay of the land there. Home. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. 
Now listen closely, because in just two sentences, Jesus unpacks four heavenly truths you will not hear anywhere else in Scripture. Only here. We get these grandiose, beautiful pictures of heaven, and yes, they're accurate, and yes, they're authentic, and yes, it will be overwhelming. Guaranteed. When we arrive, we will not be looking for Uncle Fred, dearly departed. We will be looking at Jesus in absolute awe. But it's home. My Father's house. Four heavenly truths. He says, oh, go back there, Rick, because Revelation 4 is not... Okay, he says, in my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. Dwelling places. The word is Monet in the, in the Greek. Monet, not works of art. Dwelling places. And it simply means a place to stay. In my Father's house are many Monets, many places to stay. I got plenty of room, he's saying. There's a place for you, he's saying. More on that in a bit. But why does he say, if it were not so, I would have told you. If it were not so, I would have told you. Let me give you these in order. Number one, the basis of heavenly belief. The basis of heavenly belief. Jesus establishes the promise of heaven on the platform of His own integrity. You get that? Jesus establishes the promise of heaven. Heaven is real. Heaven is actual. I want to take you there, but before I even get there, listen, I am telling you this, because if it were not so, I would have told you that. The whole thing is based on His integrity. The platform of Jesus' integrity. And what a platform the Republicans don't have it. And the Democrats don't have it. And the Libertarians and the Green Party and the Tea Party. I have yet to see anyone put heaven on their political platform. Maybe if they did, things would be a bit better. Heaven is the platform. Actually, look at it this way. Heaven is the plank in the platform. The platform is the integrity of Jesus. The basis of belief in heaven, the basis of heavenly belief, is Jesus' own word on the matter. He's putting His reputation on the line. If it were not so, I wouldn't have told you, or I would have told you that it wasn't so. Here's the deal. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. That's the way it is. And I stake my entire life and reputation for all eternity on it. Take Him at His word or don't take Him at His word. But there is no in-between. Which is why it says, do not let your heart be troubled, verse 1. Believe in God. Believe also in Me. Because Jesus is the basis of heavenly belief. The first most important question is not, do you believe in heaven, but do you believe in Jesus? Because if you believe in Jesus, then you must believe, listen, you must believe in heaven. If you believe in Jesus, you must believe in heaven. Micah 5.2 tells us that His goings forth are from long ago, from days of eternity. Who's the child born in Bethlehem? Jesus Christ. He's from eternity. He's from there. He's talking about that which He knows. His house. 
His Father's house. Hebrews 4.14 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, all three of them, (laughs) Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. He was there and He returned there. And so for Jesus to stake His reputation on it, well, that clarifies the whole thing. If you ever had any doubts in heaven, how do you feel about Jesus? If you believe in Him, He declared absolutely unequivocally, heaven is real and heaven is my home. If you don't believe in Jesus, it doesn't really matter what you believe or think about heaven. It doesn't make any difference at all. Without faith in Him, all talk about heaven and the afterlife is completely irrelevant. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. You want to go to the Father's house? You go through faith in the Son. If you don't have faith in the Son, don't even waste your time talking about, wondering about, being curious about heaven. It doesn't matter. It's irrelevant to your life unless you have faith in Jesus. Who said in John 6.40, This is the will of My Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life. And I myself will raise Him up on the last day. Jesus is the basis of all heavenly belief. And He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming quickly. Revelation 22.20 Amen. Come Lord Jesus. Let me add this. If you don't believe in heaven, you really don't believe in Jesus either. I'm not judging, just saying. In 2014, Ligonier Ministries did a survey poll of 3,000 respondents regarding heaven. Listen to these results. 2014. 67% of Americans believe heaven is a real place. 67%. That's pretty good. Not as good as it was 20 years ago. It's a 20% drop. In the year 2000, 88% of Americans believed heaven was real. What has happened in 20 years? Among evangelical Christians, the number, the percent is 90% believe that heaven is real. Yeah, I read that and immediately I went negative. 10%, one out of every 10 evangelical Christians doesn't believe there's a heaven. What? Then why are you going to church? Why are you sitting there listening to that guy week after week? What are you doing? It's mind-boggling to me, honestly. And so I declare to you one more time, absolutely... If you don't believe in heaven, you don't believe in Jesus. Don't sit there and say, I believe in Jesus, and question heaven, because you question the very very integrity of the one who declared heaven is real. And I'm going to take you there. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. My integrity, he says. Trust me or don't. Don't say you trust him if you don't take him at his word. Among Catholics, the number is 75% who believe heaven is an actual place. So there's a 25% gap there. 
among non-Christians, 37% believe heaven is a real place. Which I would think would be a high number if you're not a follower of Jesus, but so it goes. In addition, 45% of Americans who do believe in heaven also believe there are many ways to get there. Now, do the numbers there. If 67% of Americans believe heaven is a real place and 45% of that 67% believe that there are many ways to get there, no one's reading John chapter 14. No one comes to the Father except through Me. One way. Jesus said, not Rick... It's not Pastor Rick's words. Gang, it's not even my opinion. It's what John 14.6 tells us. It's what Jesus said. Believe Him or don't. That's your decision. But it's what He said. He is the basis of heavenly belief. Without Jesus, it's all pie in the sky. Or pie in the face, as the case could be. (laughs) But in Jesus... And with Jesus, and by Jesus, and through Jesus, we have the hope of a heavenly home. The basis of all heavenly belief. Secondly, the big house of holy blessing. The big house of holy blessing. He says, in my Father's house. I just love that. First time we hear Jesus refer to His Father's house is when He was 12 years old. Luke 2, verse 49 He says to Mary and to Joseph, who are freaking out because they don't know where he is. They lost him. They left Jerusalem. Remember, he was still there. So they go back, searching the streets. After three days, they finally find him in the temple. And he said, why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know I had to be in my father's house? Now the word house there is implied. What Jesus really said was, didn't you know I had to be at my father's? I love that. It's so casual. It's so relaxed. I'm I'm a dad's. Didn't you know I'd be at dad's? I'd be at my father's? Why are you looking all over Jerusalem for me for three days? You know, I I really wonder, Jesus being God in the flesh, if He wasn't sitting there as a 12-year-old having those conversations and occasionally looking out of the temple and seeing Joseph and Mary going by this way and going by that way. And He's like... I'm right here! Didn't you know... I had to be at my father's. And he's referring, of course, to the temple there. In the Old Testament, the temple was called the Bayit. The Bayit, the house of the Lord. My father's house. The big house of the Lord. I don't know very many preteens who think of the church as home sweet home. They might like to run around here and jump in the baptistry when no one's looking and have all kinds of fun, but, but the church is home. The place of, of all the places in Anacortes and Oak Harbor that I want to be at that church building. How many 12-year-olds have that mentality? But that was the mentality of Jesus. Why? Because the temple was as close to home as He could get on earth. Closest He could get. In terms of representation, there were things in the temple that would have reminded Him of heaven. That would have reminded him of his father's house. Things that are representations in the temple of the heavenly realities. Earthly representations. And I'm not talking about images and icons because there weren't any of those. But the whole structure is a picture 
of the heavenly throne room. I'm not going to get into that this morning, but it's, it's worth the study. Go through the book of Hebrews. You'll get it. My Father's house. But Jesus only actually used the phrase, my Father's house, literally twice in the entire New Testament. Turn back to John chapter 2. He uses it here on that night of betrayal with His apostles. And then He used it prior to that at the beginning of His ministry. John chapter 2, verse 13. The Passover of the Jews was near. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And He found in the temple those who were selling oxen and sheep and doves and the many money changers seating at their tables. He made a scourge of cords and drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. He poured out the coins of the money changers. He overturned their tables. And to those who were selling the doves, He said, Take these things away. Stop making my Father's house a place of business. Well, His disciples remember that it was written, Psalm 69, verse 9, Zeal for your house will consume me. And the Jews then said to him, What sign do you show us as authority for your doing these things? And Jesus said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will build it up. I will raise it up. And the Jews said, It took 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. This was personal to Jesus. Stop making my father's house a place of business. That is not what this is about. I love the picture of Jesus with those cords, you know, that that scourge of cords. Turning over the tables. I mean, man, that's cool. That's kind of like my kids on the back of the 4x4 at the Walton's house. (laughs) That I just learned about yesterday. You see, Dave and Eli had gone out into their yard and set up these stands for bow and arrow, the little animals, you know, around the yard for them to kids shoot bow and arrows at. And uh, Denise got the bright idea to load the kids up in the back of their little 4x4 little, uh, what do they call it, the rhinoceros, the rhino, and get on that and drive all around. And she's driving the little figure eights through that with the kids sitting in the back with sticks whacking the creatures as they go by. <laughs> And Denise is head down right now. She's going, I cannot even believe he's talking about this. (laughs) And here on this last Sunday that Denise will worship with us. um, I got to tell you, I love it. I love it. I love that my kids were out there doing something wild and uncontrollable and and cool and and masculine even, man. Hitting animals with sticks. Yeah! That reminds me of my childhood. We need to get back to that. Man, all this this safety stuff. I rode down Saddleback Drive, which is pretty much a straight drop all the way down. No helmet, no shoes on my feet, on my bike, standing on the seat with one leg in the air going, Yeah! No... What does that have to do with I don't know, I just thought I'd share. I love to see Jesus angry. Controlled anger. Righteous anger. But I love to see Jesus with the cords going, Get them out! Turning over the tables. Showing emotion. Why? Because He loved His Father's house. This is my dad's place, and you don't mess it up like this. This is intolerable, He says. 
Jesus don't go there. He loved His Father's house because it reminded Him of home. The big house of the temple, it wasn't about the temple. This building is not about the building. This is just preparation for the homecoming. The big house of holy blessing. The temple was that earthly representation of the greater reality in heaven. Hebrews chapter 9. I think David got that. I know he did. He wrote in Psalm 27 verse 4, One thing I have asked from the Lord, that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in His temple. That's all I want, David says. I just want to be there. In the courts of the house of the Lord for all eternity. That's my dwelling. That's my Father's house. Well, David was a man after God's own heart, wasn't he? Psalm 122, verse 1. I was glad when they said to me, let us go up to the house of the Lord. Now that's speaking of the earthly temple, but the earthly temple is just the big house of holy blessing that represents the true big house of holy blessing. It's my Father's house. The temple, the house of the Lord, was personal to David not because of the structures so much, but because of the residence within. Who's that? The Lord Himself and His people. Watch this. Because in John 14, Jesus is clearly talking about the heavenly reality of the earthly house. He says in John 14 too, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. I go to prepare a place for you. Number three, the building of homely bliss. And when I say homely, I don't mean, you know... You know what? We use the word homely for someone who's not that attractive. It's because they really can't leave home. But here's the thing. At home, they're never unattractive. The homely person can stay home because there, the family loves them. There, we don't care what we look like. There, the hair can be sticking out, the pajamas on at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Nobody cares. Now, if you come knocking on my door at 5 o'clock in the afternoon on a Saturday and I'm already in my pajamas, I'm not answering the door. I'll be homely with my family at home. (laughs) The building of homely bliss. Back to that word, dwelling places. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. Monets, the King James translates that, mansions, but that's far too austere. In my Father's house are many mansions. First of all, how do you get a mansion in a house? I'm not an architect, (laughs) but I'm not sure how that works. In my Father's house are many Monets, dwelling places we got guest rooms galore all over the place. It's not like mansions. And, and for those of you who love the old hymn, I want a mansion, what is your problem? <laughs> Just give me a pup tent in heaven and I'm going to be happy, you know? I want a mansion that's fully mine. Whatever. I just want to be in Dad's house. Just give me a room. And he's talking about these dwelling places. This homely bliss. 
and how he's building it. I, I understand. I understand heaven is awesome. awesome. That's how we began the study, right? Heaven is amazing. It's stunning. It's stirring. It's overwhelming. It will be. But here, Jesus uniquely describes it in a way you won't find anywhere else in the Bible. He just calls it, again, home. Back in 1993, the Christian band at that time, Audio Adrenaline, wrote the song Big House. I love that song. In fact, I just put it back on my iPod last night. Big house. It's a big, big house, they sing, with lots and lots of room. A big, big table with lots and lots of food. A big, big yard where we can play football. It's a big, big house. It's my father's house. It's a great song. And it captures something of what Jesus is saying here in my Father's house are many dwelling places. A place to hang your hat. A place to kick off your shoes. A place to come and stay a while. Dad's place. The word place there in the Greek, topos, simply means a room. His personal space. And right now, even as we consider these things, this very moment, preparations are still underway for your arrival. Jesus is adding on to His Father's house. He's in the process of building great additions. You Bible students know this. In the Jewish culture of Jesus' day, and I can't talk about this and skip over this truth, the description that Jesus is giving here is a marital one. A marital one? In my Father's house and many dwelling places, but we're not so I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. It's a marital picture. A beautiful marital picture of a bride and a groom. You see, in Jewish culture, first century, the bride and the groom were betrothed. It was a covenant promise as binding as marriage, more binding than engagement. They were betrothed. And then the bride, she would go and she would wait expectantly. The betrothal had taken place, the ceremony of betrothal, very serious, very austere, very beautiful. And and then she goes and she waits. And the groom went to work, building on an apartment to his father's house where he could receive his young bride. When all was ready, the father would inspect the work. And then he sent the groom out to go and fetch his bride. And he would bring her home in joyful parade. And they'd lock in for a seven day honeymoon in the apartment built on to his father's house. In my father's house are many dwelling places. I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you can be as well. I think Isaiah was hinting at this. We're talking about, my friends, the rapture of the church. I'm preparing a place for you right now and I'm going to come get you and take you up. And you're going to go be with me. Isaiah 26.20 says, Come, my people, enter into your rooms and close your doors behind you. Hide for a little while until indignation runs its course. Indignation in the Old Testament is tribulation in the New Every time the Old Testament prophets, the Hebrew prophets, used the word indignation, they were talking about the outpouring of the wrath of God. That time of the outpouring of God's wrath. And the whole thing is laid out before us. The Bible warns of a seven-year, literal, actual tribulation that will cover the entire planet. I'm just taking Jesus at His word here. 
just taking the Bible literally, study the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 1 is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then Revelation chapter 2 and 3 speaks of the church, and only the church. Seven letters to seven churches across the ages. Suddenly, Revelation chapters 4 and 5, the church is home in heaven. And as we read Revelation 4, we get this amazing scene in the throne room where the church is there. I won't get into it right now, but you can read it, study it. The church is there. Revelation 4 and 5. Suddenly, Revelation chapter 6 describes, beginning there, a seven-year tribulation on planet Earth that runs through chapter 19. Where's the church? Not mentioned a single time in Revelation 6 through 18, through the end of 18. Not mentioned at all. You don't see the church. Mentioned seven times in chapters 2 and 3. Suddenly chapters 4, 4 and 5 in the heavens. And then chapter 6 on, you don't hear about the church at all. Not even a hint or a reference. Because the church is not there in the tribulation. But wait. Revelation 19 describes the marriage feast of the Lamb. And with that, a bride at the marriage feast with the Lamb, Jesus, and then the groom emerges from the Father's house with his bride after the seven years, who's dressed still in fine linen, white and clean, on the back of horses, ready to ride into war. (laughs) I haven't seen a bride go to battle, but I think that's going to be awesome. Because Jesus goes before us. What are you saying, Rick? I'm saying this whole picture that Jesus presents here. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also, is a groom to his bride. It's the marital picture that we see emerge throughout Scripture. It's beautiful, it's wonderful, and no wonder the enemy is working tirelessly to undermine, redefine, and ultimately take apart traditional marriage. Rick, you're on a rabbit trail. I know. (laughs) But it's an important one. Gang, I I shared this with our shepherds the other night. I really think that we're not yet to the end game of the opponents of marriage. I cannot tell you how absolutely vital and critical traditional marriage, that is a marriage between one man and one woman for one life, that is the picture God gave us. Go all the way back to the beginning. Jesus says, don't you realize from the beginning it was this way? That a man would leave his father and mother and cling unto his wife, and the two become one flesh. That's it. That's the marital picture. Why, Lord? You know, he could have done it however he wanted. He's God, right? He could have said, one man for one cow for one life. He could have. No, I'm serious. He could have said, one man, one antelope, and a skunk. And that's the picture. But he didn't. One man, one woman, one bride, one groom, together to be unified. Why is it so important? Because it is a picture of Christ and the church. That's the whole reason we have marriage. That we might have an example of the intimacy that Jesus desires with His people. Christ and the church. Ephesians chapter 5, Paul said the mystery is great, but I'm talking with reference to Christ and the church. And that's why there are opponents of marriage today. Traditional marriage. And brothers and sisters in Christ, we have not been vocal enough about the significance of marriage. We, we've sat back and said, well, you know, I'm not going to go to those weird places, but you know, whatever, I guess if they want to, let... It's God's design. 
based on God's holy word. And as God's people, don't we want to stand up and say, look, this is what Scripture teaches. And I am here to tell you, whatever the Supreme Court decides at the end of June, this church fellowship will honor and only honor traditional marriage between a man and a woman. Whatever happens. But it's not the end game. What is it? Homosexual marriage. It's not the end game. Well, what do you think the end game is? 1 Timothy 4, verse 1, the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron who forbid marriage. What do you mean? I never got that before. Now I think I see what's coming. Undermine marriage and wipe it out completely. Because what's next? Well, if two men can get married, why can't four people get married? Why not six people in a marital union? Why not three? You know, if, if, if two can get married, two women perhaps, why not a person and an animal? Why not? What does Scripture tell us, friends? A man will cling unto his wife, and the two will be called one flesh. And when I see where this is all heading, it makes me want to get my football and go home. But I'm not home yet. And we still have feet on this turf. And whether it offends or not, I'll tell you what, there are some truths that we must be willing to offend with. Marriage is one of them. It's a picture of the groom and the bride. And the groom wants to bring his bride to his father's house. So, be encouraged. Jesus is preparing a place for you. The building of homely bliss. It's been going on for 2,000 years. Keith Green says, if he created earth in six days and heaven, he's been working on for 2,000 years? Man, we're living in a garbage pan compared to what's going on up there. I love that. The building of homely bliss. What does that look like exactly? I go to prepare a place for you. Well, that sounds nice, but is there scaffolding around the pearly gates right now? Is there sawdust on angels' wings? I'm trying to figure this out. Tile cutters running through the day in heaven. Will you cut that down? We're we're worshiping over here. Well, we got to prepare the place. What's happening in heaven regarding this preparation? Two side notes to add here. He is preparing a place for you. Yeah, he's preparing a place, but don't miss that it is for you. I'm not big on church slogans. I'm really not. But props to CTK. Christ the King, the local church around here, has, I think, the best church slogan I've ever heard. Always a place for you. Makes me want to go there. (laughs) Always a place for you. What a great saying. What does that say to the world around? Come on in. We'll find you a place. There's a place for you here. That's what Jesus is saying. I have gone on to prepare a place for you. 
to follow after Me. He's talking to His disciples. He's talking to anyone who follows Him. He's talking to those who know the way, the truth, and the life and who come to the Father through Him. I've got a place for you. I'm working on it right now. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.1, For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Okay. But if it's a house not made with hands, how is Jesus building it? How is He preparing it? Well, let me ask you this. What makes a house a home? Is it the nails and the boards? Is it the air conditioning system? Not at all. You know where I'm going. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.9, You are God's building. You are God's building. Peter said in 1 Peter 2.4, Coming to Him as to a living stone which has been rejected by men. Note that. Jesus, the living stone, has been rejected by men. If you accept and preach and teach and declare His Word, you're going to be rejected for it. Truth is what truth is. But He was rejected by men, choice and precious in the sight of God. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He's preparing a place for you. How's he doing it with you? Look around. The place is already more prepared than it was in this fellowship 11 years ago. The house has more stones. The house is getting built. He's preparing a place for us. And I think that's literally in heaven, but it's spiritually right now among us. And remember earlier, remember this, this is marvelous to me. When Jesus first called it His Father's house, John 2.16, stop making my Father's house a place of business, He uses the word in the Greek, oikos. Oikos is simply translated house. Don't make my Father's house a place of business. Well, doesn't He use the same word here when He says my Father's house and my Father's house are many dwelling places? Well, (laughs) yes and no. It's the same root word, but He speaks it differently. Instead of oikos, he says oikia. Not ikea. Don't confuse the two. Although you could use ikea for a house. But that's not what he's saying. Oikia, which doesn't mean house, it means household. In my father's household are many dwelling places. In my father's family are many dwelling places. That's what makes a house a home. When the family is gathered around. That is my favorite time. Christmas, Hannah and Josiah were back home. All my kids were in the house. All And, and Hannah's husband too. He, he was allowed. It was okay. He, he was there. The whole family. It was home. It just felt like home. There was a huge addition to our heavenly home that took place right after Jesus' ascension. I go to prepare a place for you. The home got much bigger right then. Psalm 68 verse 18 says, You have ascended on high. You have led captive your captives. Paul takes that in Ephesians 4 verse 8 and says, Therefore, it says when He ascended on high, He led captive a host of captives. And gave gifts to men. Now this expression, He ascended, what does it mean except that He also descended into the lower parts of the earth? That is Hades. 
He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. Fill them with what? The people who he led out of Hades and took up to heaven. Those who were waiting for redemption. All those who died in faith prior to the crucifixion of Jesus. Now that the crucifixion of Jesus had happened, redemption was bought and paid for. All they had to do was cash in their righteousness based on their faith. And home they went. The additions were huge on that day. And Jesus has been building heaven ever since. Expanding the family. And in preparing heaven, He's been preparing you to be the household of God in our heavenly home. John 17.24, Jesus says, Father, I desire that they also, whom You have given Me, be here with Me where I am, so that they may see My glory which You have given Me, for You have loved Me before the foundation of the world. I just want them to be with Me at home, Father. Jesus prayed. Verse 3. If I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to Myself. Jesus Christ, the basis of heavenly belief, who speaks of the big house of holy blessing, who is currently involved with the building of homely bliss, is the same one who will be, number four, bearing home the heavenly borders. He will bear home the heavenly borders. He's coming to get you. He's coming to get me. It's as if Jesus is saying, if I'm going to do all this, you think I'm going to leave you behind? Think I'm going to work on heaven 2,000 years and then go, ah, but they're fine where they are. He's coming to get you. He's coming soon to bring you to your heavenly home. Bearing home the heavenly borders. Precious family, we're going there. We are going to our Father's house. This is an absolute, it's a reality. And I'll tell you what, if only 90% of you walk out of here believing it this morning, I have failed in the teaching of Jesus' words who says there is a heaven and you're going there through faith in Jesus Christ. He wants you home. He just wants you home. He wants you home more than I wanted my daughter home at Christmas. He wants you home. 1 Corinthians 15.52 says, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. 1 Thessalonians 4.16, Oh, here he goes again. Yes, I do. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Do you understand that heaven is not to be feared? That the words of Jesus here are to help us understand that it is our home. It is the household of God. It is family. I was walking through the halls this morning and listening to you all laugh and hug and talk and and get along. And I just thought, that's family. That's the deal. The household of God. And we are going to be together. What, with that guy? Yeah. (laughs) Jesus said, love one another. I have loved you. And that day is soon upon us. Jesus is right now finishing up preparations. 
And when He's finished at the Father's Word, He's going to come get us. One last thing. I said that this is the, that He's going to be bearing home the heavenly borders. What does that imply to you? Temporary. Temporary. What? The dwelling place that Jesus is preparing for us right now is temporary. What do you mean? Peter wrote in 2 Peter 3, verse 10, The day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. When does that happen? After what the Bible describes in Revelation 20 is that thousand year reign, that millennial kingdom. In Revelation 20 verse 14, John writes, Then I saw a great white throne and Him who sat upon it from whose presence heaven and earth fled away. And no place was found for them. I believe that's what Peter was describing. What are you talking about? This is after the place prepared. The place prepared is a seven year honeymoon home for his people. But after that, what are we suddenly homeless? No. The Lord Jesus gives us the rest of the story. Revelation 21 verse 1 and 2. I saw a new heaven and new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away. There's no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. For He has made made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. It's going to be bigger. It's going to be better than the first place prepared. And and, and here's the final thing. It's not the place prepared that matters as much as the people prepared. And the person, that is, of God the Father and Jesus the Son, that's what makes it our heavenly home. That's what makes us desire to be there. During the first two years that we functioned as a church fellowship here, I was at the same time building my house. Nicola was, but you know, I was telling him what to do. (laughs) And during that 15 months of building, my family moved five times. Five times in 15 months. Before that, we lived in California, Texas, California, Washington, Virginia, California, and Washington again. (laughs) So weird, I spent my first, the first uh, 15 of my 18 years or 15 of my first 18 years, growing up in one house. It's the only house I ever knew as a kid. My parents are still in that house. You know, I go to visit them, and I'm in my old bedroom, and I'm like, this is weird. The only thing missing is the kiss posters. It's another story. But since the age of 18, I have moved 20 times. That's a lot of military families, you get it? You know what I'm talking about. But Jesus says that where I am, you may be also. And Paul said, 1 Thessalonians 4.17, And so we shall always be with the Lord. It's not about the house. It's about the Lord. 
And it's about the presence of Jesus that wherever He goes, wherever He might move, whatever He does, He wants us there with Him. Family, household of God, together. That's my heavenly home. And so David wrote, Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The book of Revelation ends telling us that there's no temple in the new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem. For the Lord Himself and the Lamb are the temple, the house. You want to go? I want to go. Believe in Jesus. Follow Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. You want that certainty, that peace, that confidence. It's in Jesus. He just handed you an invitation this morning. The question is what you're going to do with it. Rachel, come on up. My hope and my prayer is that if you haven't RSVP'd yet... You will today. That you will give Jesus your life, Jesus your heart, and Jesus your hope. Lord Jesus, as we sing this song to You, we ask that You would open our hearts to You. We ask, Lord, that You will call us out of the place of our our fears. Call us out, Lord, of our worries. Call us out of our discontent. Call us out of our confusion. And call us into the clarity of Your Word today. And call us into the, into the hope, our heavenly hope. We thank You for being so clear and so straightforward with us. Call us to respond. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let's stand and sing. If you have any response to Jesus, the prayer team will be up here in front to meet you. Please come forward.